If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 5. Song of Solomon chapter 5. If you've been with us in the month of uh, March, you know that we are in this series called uh, From Fairy Tales to Faithfulness, and we're talking about marriage. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about rekindling the fire. And uh, as we get started this morning, uh, even though Pastor Dick was digging on me last week saying that I have quite a few commentaries on Song of Solomon, I'm not an expert. Uh, however, I didn't take my wife to Swanky Pete's or something like that for, uh, uh, for our, uh, our first meal. Uh, but, uh, but we're going to w- walk through this text and see what it has to say about uh, uh, a couple, a married couple being romantic with one another. And uh, before we do that, I want to tell you a story. Growing up, when I was a little kid, my family remodeled uh, their family room. And when they remodeled their family, our family room, uh, my dad decided it would be a good idea to put a wood stove in our family room. So they put this big old wood stove in our family room, and, and that was one of the ways that we heated our house in the winter months, kind of to keep uh, the oil pr- price down. We, we got wood, and, and, and uh, we, we kept this burning. And so, you know, as a little kid, I thought this was a kind of a cool thing, because boys and fire, I mean, what better thing than that? I could just watch the, the flame in, in the wood stove, and it just kind of captured my interest. And, and I remember the routine at home with the wood stove. In the morning, first thing, you know, before dad left for work, he'd stoke the fire up. He'd put all the wood in the fire, and he'd get this blazing fire going. And I also remember the last thing at night, my dad would, would, would load up the wood stove, and he'd put all the, the, the wood in it and get this blazing fire so it would continue through the night. There was just one problem with this whole situation and with the wood stove, and it was this. My mom was definitely afraid of fire. And my dad wasn't home the whole day. And so while he would load up the, the wood stove first thing in the morning, my mom wanted nothing to do with the wood stove. And so throughout the day, what would happen? The, the logs would burn up and it would die down. It would, by the time dad got home for dinner, it was usually just a pile of coals. It's usually a pile of coals that would have to start and... and uh, rebuild the fire. And so blazing fire or just coals, which is easier to maintain? It's the fire, right? Which is more helpful? You're trying to keep warm. It's, it's the fire. And which is more fun? I know, I know about f- for me, when I, as a little kid, man, I just loved. And, and when, that, when dad would open the door and, it would be, and the fire would be, if I could throw in some paper or something like that, that was cool. That was fun. Well, tonight, this morning, we're going to talk about rekindling the fire in our marriages, rekindling the romance. And in the Song of Solomon, we see Solomon and his wife, Shulamith, they faced uh, the same scenario that many married couples face today. They've been married for a long time, and, and it was a challenge to kind of stoke the fire, stoke the dying embers of romance. And marriage at its inception is kind of like a, a roaring fire. It's strong. It's burning bright. It's warm. It's cheerful. It bears a wonderful glow to people, and, and they receive, receive its warmth from all around it. You know, you've, you know you've, you've been with people who've just gotten married, and they're so excited, and, and just being in their presence, it, you know, you just see the warmth and the excitement. But every fire will wane at times. And sometimes the fire of our marriage is the romance in our marriage wane. It needs to be poked a bit. 
needs to be added some kindling or, or maybe thrown another log on the fire. And the reality is the vitality of mar- marriage can easily become a pile of embers if the fire isn't fed or maintained. I think, rom- I think romance and marriage is like the wood stove at my house, too. You see, one person just can't attend to it. It takes two people. It takes two people to get the fire burning bright and hot. And so this morning we're going to talk about how to rekindle the fire of romance in our marriages. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, I mean, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 5. We've been in Romans just a little too long. uh, Song of Solomon chapter 5. We're going to talk about, first of all, we're going to talk uh, to the wives. And we're going to say, what does every husband need from his wife? Uh, pick up with me in verse 8 of chapter 5. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Now we know in the beginning of Song of Solomon 5, Shulamith says, uh, you know, from that, she, she was having a bad night. And Pastor Dick talked about this about two weeks ago. She was having a bad night. First she had drifted off to sleep as she anxiously awaited for Solomon to come home, to return to her. And then she became irritated when he did get home late and refused to let him enter in to see her. And then she changed her mind, and she opened the door to find that Solomon was gone. And now she's upset, and so she she enlists the help of her friends to go find Solomon, her her husband. She, She wants to find him. And as she tells her friends that if they find Solomon, please tell them that she is lovesick for her husband. She misses him and desires to see him. And look how her friends answer her in verse 9. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful woman? How is your beloved better than others that you, sh- that you so charge us? We see her friends speak here, and it's interesting. Basically what they say is, what is so special about this guy? Shulam, if you are beautiful, what's so special about this guy? In essence, they tell her not to be heartbroken, that guys are a dime a dozen, What's so special about him? She's been separated from Solomon, and she's in the midst of a conflict in their marriage, and she can't rest and relax until he's returned and they've reconciled. Her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, ask her this question, so she proceeds to answer their question, telling them and reviewing for her own sake what makes him a better beloved than all others. And she answers them in verses 10 to 16. And and basically what she tells us here, I think, is wives, number one, champion your husbands. Champion your husbands. In Song of Solomon 4, we have seen that Solomon commented on the beauty of his bride. He commented on her beauty. And this was a quite common practice in the writings of the time in regards to women. women. But but describing a man and his physical characteristics, this is quite rare. And in these verses, we see an admiring wife caringly and carefully describing her husband. Now remember, these statements are highly subjective. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. They they may actually say more about her heart than about his physique. And David Jeremiah says this, we're talking about a woman in love and how she sees her man through the eyes of love. But we see Shulamith is Solomon's cheerleader. Uh, She champions him, and and, and she acknowledges his attractiveness. She acknowledges his attractiveness. And first of all, she praised his identity. 
In verse 10, she said, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. She begins by telling her husband is, is, is glowing and bright with this reddish complexion. She's telling that Solomon, he's splendid and sparkling. He's my knight in shining armor. And he goes on and says that she, he is outstanding among 10,000. And today, you know what we'd say? He's one in a million. He's one in a million. He is an amazing, amazing guy. She says he is the man among men, and he was. The Bible tells us that his wisdom and his wealth were greater than any king in history. And so he was the man among men. Now, I know what some of you wives might be thinking. Well, I'd champion my husband, too, if he was the, the wisest and the wealthiest man on the planet, too. That'd be easy, right? I mean, I mean sure, it would. Well, Solomon was unique, and guess what? So is your husband. Your husband is unique too. He was made by God and he is wonderfully made. And, and wives, every husband has special gifts, special strengths and skills that you need to celebrate, that you should celebrate, that you should champion. So he praised his identity. He goes on and he praised, she praised his intellect in verse 11. He says, his head is purest gold. Now Solomon was rich, but his head was not made of solid gold. That's not what she, she's not talking about his riches here. He, but he did have a head full of wisdom, and this is what Shulamith is talking about. He is wise. He is wise. He, uh, she acknowledges his wisdom and his intelligence. Uh, and you know what? Men can be smart in a lot of different ways. Some men are, are, are book smart, and they just, things come easy to them. But another, uh, other guys are just skill smart. And they can just do anything with their hands. They can figure it out and fix it. And wives, we sh you should find the areas in, in which your husband is, is smart and gifted and positively reaffirm them and praise him in those areas. And wives, you make your husband feel smart by avoiding making comments that make him feel ignorant and foolish too. Highlight the things that he does well and Trust me, as a guy, we know where we fail. You don't need to point them out to us and bring them up over and over and over again. Derogatory and disparaging words can do great damage. But, but here she goes on, she, she praises his intelligence. He is wise. He is, he is, he is amazing intelligence. And then he goes on, she goes on and praises his individu individuality in verse 11. No two people are exactly alike. So wives, you should point out the things that set your husband apart, that are special to you, that you see in his life. And, and Shulamith is pretty passionate about this. She gives us a pretty thorough list here in, in chapter 5. And she wants everyone to know that she has the best husband in the world. There is no one in the world like him. She goes through his list of physical characteristics. In, in the second half of 11, she says, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. So he has this dark and curly hair. Shulmuth takes it from the top like Solomon did in, in Song of Solomon 4, and, and he says, your hair, it sticks out. It's so easily recognizable. The, the black, curly, wavy hair, I, I, I can recognize that from afar. I like that. He goes on and says, his eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. He says, his eyes are radiant and captivating. Shulmuth reveals how easily she gets lost in her husband's eyes, how attracted 
how attractive they are to her. She just loves to stare into his eyes. She describes his dark pupils surrounded by the white of his eyes. And Solomon talked of Shulamith's eyes too in Song of Solomon 4 and Song of Solomon 7, which means they must have spent some extended time gazing into one another's eyes, a sign of a healthy couple, that they communicate well, that they look at each other and they're, they're, they're looking at their eyes and, and, and communicating, connecting. She goes on and says, his cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. And she says his cheeks are fuzzy and fragrant. Now I know uh, beards may be unpleasant and unattractive to some women, especially when they're not attended to. But Solomon seems to faithfully maintain his facial hair, making sure it's neat and clean and it smells good. And she likes that. She likes that facial hair. She likes that he takes care of himself for her. She goes on and says his lips are are like lilies dripping with myrrh. He says his lips are sparkling and sweet. Shulman says Solomon's, from out of Solomon's lips come sweet words. The words that proceed from them are positive and pleasing. They're encouraging. I like your sweet words. Your encouraging words, she says. She goes on and says, his arms are rods of gold set with topaz. And she says, hey, your arms are tanned and tough. And Shulamith is describing Solomon's strong arms. Some might say, you know, she was taking in the gun show. Sun's out, gun's out kind of deal. And she says, I love your arms. They're strong. I feel safe in your arms. They were toned and muscular. Lapis Lutzel was this precious stone cut, uh, cut for use in jewelry, probably sapphire, which kind of talks about Probably his blue veins through his muscular arms. She says, you know, you're tough and I feel safe in your arms. I love your arms. Goes on and says his body is like polished ivory decorated uh, with lapis lutzel. And his torso is trim. And not only did Solomon have some guns, but he had a six-pack too. And she says, uh, you know, you are trim. And Solomon wasn't this lazy or chubby king that had everybody else do everything for him. He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. He loved to go on adventures. He went to check on all the supplies that were making the temple to make sure that they were the finest quality. He was not just sitting around doing nothing. He was involved. He was active. And she liked that he was trim and active and in shape goes on and says, his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of gold. He says, your legs are massive and mighty. They're stable and strong, and you have beautiful feet. Again, remember, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. And so uh, I'm not saying that, you know, he was this, you know, perfect 10. But to her, this was her husband who she loved, who she was so attracted to. She goes on and says, his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. She said, your face is grand and good-looking. Shulamith compares it to the most precious commodity of the time, the cedar trees of Lebanon, those splendid and amazing trees and that, uh, that were just so precious. And she says, your face, your face is good-looking. It's precious to me. And then in verse 16, she says, his mouth is sweetness itself. It's altogether lovely. This is my beloved, this is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Some people paraphrase this for the first half of this verse like this. His words are kisses, and kisses are his words. Again, reinforcing that Solomon is, is, is just very kind in his words. Everything that proceeds out of his mouth is pleasing. 
And if you've read through Song of Solomon, you know that Solomon's a sweet talker. You know that he is gifted with his words, and his words are very kind and gentle and encouraging, especially to his wife. But let's not forget that this couple had also well-documented kissing skills, too. It just wasn't the kind words, but uh, after all these years together, this is, this is not their honeymoon night, this is later on, they still enjoyed kissing one another. And all the kids in the room can go, ew, right? Because that's what you do when you see your parents kiss. But they enjoyed kissing one another. So Solomon's summary thoughts, uh, Shulman's summary thoughts on Solomon was this, he is all together lovely. He's altogether lovely. This is a powerful and precious passage talking about Solomon's place in Shulamith's heart. She said, he is altogether lovely. There's no one else like him. There's no one else like him. In this passage, we've clearly seen how she is his cheerleader and champion. She's his one-woman fan club. She makes it clear that she loves her husband deeply. And she makes it clear why she loves her husband deeply. I read her words, and I almost wish Solomon would have been around to hear them, don't you? I mean, she's going through this list, and I'm like, wow, this is really great stuff. I wish he was here to hear that. But here's the thing. You can be confident that what was said will eventually make make their way back to him. What was shared with her friends, I have a feeling, well, he will hear about that at some point in time. It'll make its way back to him. Indirect compliments are powerful, and they're promised to reach their final destination at some point. At some point, someone will say, hey, you're Solomon. Hey, you should hear, your wife says you're, you're this amazing guy. What, what, a, what a great thing to hear from someone else as a husband. And you can be sure Solomon probably will, will hear that at some point. Wives, if you champion your husband to your friends, he will hear about it and will treasure your kindness greatly. He'll treasure that. Knowing you love him enough to, pr- to praise him when he isn't present is precious. It's precious. And unfortunately, we don't see a whole lot of that in our culture, right? When girlfriends or, or guys get together, it's, you know, in our, in our culture, we see, you know, it's, it's easy to rip on your spouse and to point out everything that's wrong. But here, Shulamith says, you know what? Here's why I love my husband. This is why. This is why. She was his champion, his cheerleader. And whether you compliment your husband in his presence or in his absence, you need to compliment him, wives, because your husband craves your admiration and your respect. He craves your admiration and respect. Husbands often compare themselves to others and lack confidence. And wives, when you champion them, when, you, when you're their biggest cheerleader, you provide them some strength and some stability. They know that, hey, you respect me, you care for me. And that, that gives them strength, that gives them stability, that encourages them. And so, wives, champion your husbands. But also, wives, be, be your husband's companion for life. Be your husband's companion for life. Remember the situation here. Shulamith had a misunderstanding with Solomon. And now she's searching the city to find him. 
And her friends ask them, what's so special about Solomon that you're searching the streets? And she quickly educates them on why her husband is this great man, even though her friends are like, hey, guys are a diamond. This guys are a dime a dozen. Let's not waste our time. Let's go find just another husband for you. She says, no, this is my husband. He is so amazing. And then at the end of 16, she says, this is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Read that verse again. This is my beloved. This is my friend. If that doesn't emotionally move you, you may not be breathing. Shulamith is his companion for life, committed to him through the ups and downs of life. And she says, hey, he's not just my lover, but he is my friend. We're in this together. We're sharing life together. David Jeremiah said, romance and friendship, put the two together, and you have a marriage for the ages. And that's what they had. That's what they had. Let me ask you a question. Do you know any married people who aren't friends? Do you know any married people who aren't friends? All that they have in common after the years of marriage is a last name, maybe uh, some kids and a house. They're just kind of existing. They're still together, but they don't enjoy being together and would rather be with several other people than their spouse. In essence, they're just roommates sharing space, not lovers and friends sharing life. I mean, if someone was to come to ask you, if you could spend any time with anybody in the world, who would you rather spend it with? And I know for me, for the last 22 years, the answer has been the same. It's been Dana. You're the one that I would rather spend than anybody else, and I like a lot of you here. But you're not as good-looking as she is, so I'm going to pick her. And so here we see wives be his companion for life. Life is better together. David Jeremiah said this, sex is wonderful, but it's not more wonderful than the ability to walk through life with the best friend, sharing everything with that person and enjoying the simple pleasure of being together. Life is better with the buddy system. I mean, Woody and Andy taught us that in Toy Story, right? You got a friend in me. But you know what? Solomon wrote about that a little bit before that in Ecclesiastes 4. Verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If, if either of them fall down, no, one of them can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So Solomon sums up the life of two friends. Working together, the results are better. Stumbling together, the recovery is easier. Sleeping together, the rest is warmer. Struggling together, the road is safer. The reality is you spend a lot of time with your spouse, so it's critical to be close companions. And a marriage full of love and friendship is worth working towards and fighting for. It's important. But I know when marriage isn't going well and it may not feel like life is better together, I know some of us might be here this morning and say, hey, you don't know where I'm at, that things aren't going well. You might say, we have no return for our labor. We don't pick each other up when, we're, when we fall. When we lie down together, there's no warmth, it's just coldness. And we don't seem to be fighting for each other, just one another. 
And if that's the case, if that's the case don't, don't quit, but commit to being one another's companion for life. Commit to honor the vows that you made. Commit to being friends and lovers. And do everything you can to get back to that place. Shulamith says Solomon's her, her companion for life, a beautiful combination of both lover and friends. And in, ver, in chapter 6, verse 1, the friends say this. This is amazing. Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful woman? Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? Isn't it amazing? Their, their total outlook has changed from, hey, guys are a dime a dozen, to now she, ex, she explains and she champions her husband to them. And now they realize how, what a great guy this guy is. And they said, hey, we'll help you. We're in. Let's, let's go find him. Let's go find him. No more wasting time. Let, let's go look for Solomon. Before they weren't eager to help, and now they're eager to help. And she says in verse 2, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and gather the lilies. In my I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. She has an idea where he's gone because she knows him well, right? They have been companions for life. And she knows where he goes to find a quiet place, his private and personal retreat, a, tree, a place that he goes to get away and just think. And he says, you know what? I know where he is because we've done life together, because we are companions. I know his quiet place. I know where he goes to, to find some rest. He's there. You can find him there. So if you had a disagreement with your husband and he needed some space to think, would you know where to find him? Would you know where to look for him? Would you know how to get in touch with him? Shulamith knew because they were companions for life. She understood him. She listened to him. And husbands, we need to do the same too. 1 Peter 3, 7, it says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And considerate means here to understand, to perceive, to discover, to learn about them. In essence, we need to study our spouses so we can know them. And when you're companions for life, you know your spouses. You know. You know them. You know where to find them. Even, even after a difficult time, you know where to find them. You want to find them. And that's what we see here with Shulamith. And so wives, husbands need you to champion them. And they need you to be their companion for life. And now let's move on to the guys. What a wife needs from her husband. And we'll pick it up in, in Song of Solomon 6.4. We're going we're gonna to look at this and kind of go through chapter 7.2. And we see Shulamith finds Solomon, and they're working out their misunderstanding. And Jeremiah said again, the only good thing about a marital spat is the fun you can have making up. And, uh, and so they, they found each other, and now they're in the process of trying to make things right. And Solomon's addressing his bride, and he uses some of the very same language he used in Song of Solomon 4 on their wedding night. He's repeating the words, kind of like repeating his vows to her, uh, re reassuring her that he's committed to her. And first, what a wife needs from her husband. Husbands, you need to communicate with your wife. You need to communicate with your wife. She needs time and talk. She needs time and talk. You need to remind her of your love and why you love her. We'll see, this is what Solomon is doing here. And he acknowledges her attractiveness, and he starts off just like she did. She, he praises her identity. Solomon and Shulamith are resolving this conflict, and Solomon's taking the time to remind her how special she is to, to him, how he values her as a lifelong companion. Now remember, this is years later, from 
their honeymoon in chapter four. This is years later, but he uses some of the same great language of, of, of from the heart that he's, that he's talking to his, his wife. Uh, and, and here they're trying to reconcile and reconnect. And he says, you're as beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troop with banners. He says, you are a beautiful sight. You're a beautiful sight. Terza was a beautiful uh, rural city and Jerusalem an elegant urban city. And so Solomon says, hey, you are as beautiful as anyone in the land. From the country to the city, there is no one as beautiful as you. Now, those are some good words, guys. Those are some good words. You write that down. Uh, that's, that, that, uh, the, your wives will like to hear that. He says, there is no one in all the land that is beautiful as you. She's also a welcome sight. Like an army marching to protect or defend its land, Solomon says, it is good to see you, my bride. It's good to see you. We need to make things right. Goes on in verse five. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me, he says. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. He says, you know, Shulamith, you are a captivating sight. He said before Debbie Gibson did, I get lost in your eyes. He says, I get lost in your eyes. I look at them and I'm overwhelmed with affection. I'm powerless to resist. He says, her hair shimmers and shines like goats grazing in the sun. Just, just one flip of her hair, and he is weak in the knees. He's weak in the knees. He says, she's a captivating sight. Goes on and says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. She is a lovely sight. Now we find the life verse of every Christian dentist right here. This is the perfect dental patient. She has all of her teeth, and they are white and clean. They're white and clean. And she says, and basically he's saying, hey, I love your smile. You have a great smile. You have a great smile. You have a lovely face. Your cheeks and temples are red like pomegranate. I love, I just love to stare at your face, your smile. You're beautiful. You're lovely. She goes on to praise his praise her individuality. In verse 80, it says, 60 queens there may be, 80 concubines and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young, woman, the young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Psalmist says, you're an extraordinary sight. You're an extraordinary sight. In this culture, queens and concubines, they represented the most beautiful, the most desirable women. And Solomon says, you are more beautiful than all of them, and you are uniquely mine. You're uniquely mine. You're exquisite. You're extraordinary. So husbands, we need to communicate with our wives. We need, we need, they need time and talk, and we need to be caring in our words. Solomon was just this gracious man of great compliments, and, and he was just sharing his heart with his wife and why he loved her. He just didn't tell her he loved her. He told her why he loved her. And then he goes on, and the next thing is, husbands, care for your wife for life. Care for your wife for life. She needs tenderness and touch. She needs tenderness and touch. We need to be romantic in our love, guys. We do. Romantic love is extravagant. It's measured less by the mind and more by the heart, and sometimes it's hard for us to understand. Let's be honest. 
Sometimes we're a little more focused on thinking things through and not with the heart. But uh, romantic love is, 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 less, is, is measured less by the mind and more by the heart. In Song of Solomon, we see Solomon and Shulamith's love is extreme and it's emotional. Now, we can't always be affectionate and romantic in our love, but you know what? It should be an active part in our relationship. It should be. And Solomon is tenderly talking with his bride. It's a private conversation between two lovers in, in chapter 7. And this isn't their honeymoon night. They have been married for, for many, many years. And things probably have changed. They've gotten older. Uh, their bodies have changed. They probably didn't look the same way they did when they got married. But you can tell one thing for sure. They love each other. They're still attracted to one another. His praise for his wife grows and his desire for her has deepened. He says, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. And we know sandals were worn by nobles. And Shulamith, she wasn't of noble birth. She was born a common country girl. And here Solomon is honoring her and saying, you're the queen of my heart. You're the queen of my heart. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hand. Solomon moves on from the, her feet and starts to describe the parts of the body that only a husband would see in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Solomon says that her, eyes are, that her thighs are smooth and curved like jewels, the handiwork of a fine craftsman. After all their years together, he still finds her very exciting and exceptional. He goes on and says, Your navel is, is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. And I know what some of you wives are thinking. How is that romantic? If my husband would say that to me, I'd swing. Uh, but remember, this is cultural, and, uh, and I'll kind of explain what I think uh, they were trying to mean from the Solomon compared her navel and belly to the two main rains and crops that sustained this area. Grapes got the spring rain, and wheat got the fall rain. And the rain was viewed as a blessing from God that helped them survive and thrive. And in essence, Solomon tells his bride that she is a gift of God that, she, that he could not live without. You're a gift from God that I couldn't live without. There's some nice words. He goes on and says, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of the gazelle. And Solomon says, they're tender and soft and need to be approached with gentle care. Says, your neck is like an ivory tower. Her neck was grand and elegant and precious. Your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabim. Heshbon was a bustling city, and the city gate was a busy place of business, and the, bo- the pools were this deep and calm reservoirs outside the city. And when Solomon gazed into her eyes, there was this sense of calmness and rest. She found, he found rest in her eyes. It says, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Again, we see that, and like, that doesn't sound real great. That doesn't translate real well. The Tower of Lebanon, which was a lookout tower to protect, protected Damascus and elicited confidence. And so Solomon was, was saying that she carries herself with confidence, even in the face of challenges. In her countenance, there is this trust and there is this security. I admire how you handle yourself. And the confidence that you carry yourself. Because on your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like a royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. Mount Carmel is crowned with lush green forests in the midst of a dry land. In the Old Testament, it's used to describe majestic beauty. When he looks at her head, he says, I admire your beauty. Your beautiful face makes you stand out among the rest. He says, your hair is like this royal tapestry. 
smooth and flowing and shimmering. With one flick, he's a prisoner to its beauty. I can remember my senior year of high school. I told this story before trigonometry class. Walter is before Whitmer, so Dana sat in front of me the whole year, seventh period, last period of the day. And all I can remember from trigonometry is this blonde hair in my face. That smelled good. Solomon says, your hair, one flick of it, and I just melt. I melt. He says in verse 6, how beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Solomon concludes, and says, you're, you're altogether beauty. You're beautiful. I love you. There's no one else like you. Inside and out, you're beautiful. His love and desire for her has deepened over the years. He has tenderly told her of his love for her in Song of Solomon 6, 4 through 8 and 7, 1 through 6. And now he moves on to share an intimate love with her, a more physical love. And you can read that, and it doesn't take a whole lot of... Uh, Difficulty to interpret what's happening there. But they go on from moving on from this, from this tenderness of talking to this connecting on an intimate level in a marriage relationship. They've connected. But the thing that I like is that before they got to that point, Solomon romanced her. Solomon romanced her. Solomon connected with her. He shared some tender moments. He, he shared some time and some talk before he got to the touching. He romanced her. You know, guys, we don't do a great job of romancing. It's hard for us. So this week I enlisted some help. And uh, I picked a, a few ladies from our congregation from all different stages of life and just asked them, you know, what are some things that your husband does to show that he cares? And and to do to romance you. And, and man, I got tons of great answers. I, I could spend all, all, all the time this morning talking about this, but I just highlighted some that I think are, are so important that I just want to share with you. Because guys, it's hard for us at times to be romantic, isn't it? We, you know, we live in this culture that, that kind of has even a different spin on romance. And, and I think sometimes we think, you know, our culture has this, you know, uh, all these amazing things that romantic. And when I got this list back, uh, you know, sure, our wives want us to plan a romantic night with them every once in a while, to bring flowers home for no apparent reason, to, uh, to, to go out to, to dinner and at a nice restaurant and, 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 or a special gift here and there. But you know what? A lot of things that they gave me that they thought was caring and romantic, maybe we just don't ever realize or maybe we just don't think about and depending on where you are in your stage of life, uh, maybe romance looks a little different. But here are some things that, uh, that was shared, and I promised that, that these would be in confidence, and, and don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you for those who uh, responded to me. But here's one. One thing that he did when we were dating that caught my attention was how he pursued me. He pursued me. And that's something that's, something that's still important to me six, uh, six years into marriage. Think about that, guys. You know, uh, we pursue our mates before we get married to try to convince them to marry us. We got a lot of work to do. At least I know I did. And then once they say yes, it's not over. But at times we think we check it off our box. Yep, I got married, done. On to the next thing. But no, we need to pursue them. Uh, 
Another thing, if I've had a rough day, you know, it, it's been nice that, that when, he, when he recognizes that and does something to cheer me up and encourage me. Recognize that I have a rough day. Um, this person said, you know, I love to be pampered, but you know what? I love doing everyday stuff together, just spending time together. That's, that's important. That shows that, that he cares about me. Um, Here's another great one. Sometimes I find myself focusing on what he isn't doing rather than all that he is doing. And, and I thought, you know, what a great perspective for both husbands and wives. Sometimes we have these unrealistic expectations. And, and, and some others mentioned that, hey, don't have unrealistic expectations, but focus on the positive things and, and reinforce those positive things and not on the negative things. Um, you know, someone wrote, hey, you know, I appreciate you know, holding, holding hands and having his arm around me and hugs and, and, and different things like that. But I also appreciate words of affirmation. I tend to be hard on myself and feel like I'm not doing a good job or I'm not worth it. But those words of affirmation mean the world to me. That's caring. That's romantic to come alongside and do that. Um, one of the things I find truly, truly romantic is, is the way he leads our family spiritually. I know it's a church answer, but I love talking about sermons we've listened to together, about reading passages together and discussing what we're learning, and, and it's just nice to talk through those things. Someone wrote, he doesn't complain when he sees that things aren't done at home. He just pitches in and helps out, and that shows that he cares. That shows that, that, that he, he loves me, and I, and I find that to be so very important that he just doesn't point out, hey, you didn't get this done, He's, but he just jumps in and does it. What a great, great thing to show that we care. So he's never critical of me. He doesn't complain about how I look, all of which changed over the years we've been together. That shows that you care, shows that, uh, romant that you're romantic. Um, a lot of the wives said, hey, it's important to know their spiritual gifts and their love language, the way that they communicate how they love, and, 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 uh, and, and, that, and that's important to not have unrealistic expectations. If my, if my husband's love language is the gift of service, then I know that that's how he shows love to me. And so, so when he does things, that's, he's, you know, he may not be a man of many words, but he communicates his love through action, and so I find that to be deeply caring and romantic. Someone put, you know, my husband shows that he cares for me because he always makes sure there's gas in the car. So I don't, can't remember the last time I pumped my own gas. I don't know if I could even do it. But that's just a simple thing to show, hey, I care about you. I care about you. Also say, hey, my husband's good at making sure I have some time, alone time, time away from the kids. He kind of takes them and does something so I can have some, some sanity break. You have kids at home, you, moms, you, you know you need a sanity break. And so my husband takes them and gives me a sanity break. Um, here's another good one. One thing that uh, we do that's good for our relationship, we have lunch together. You know, uh, when, when our kids are at school, sometimes we don't always have opportunity to get a babysitter or have a date night, but we can have lunch together when the kids are at school and a time to connect. And that's, that's important. Another person wrote that, you know, when I was, when we were younger in our family, I had lots of kids and I was at home, it would be overwhelming. So I needed lots of 
affirmation. And, and he would say, I know your job is hard. I really appreciate you. And even compliment me, say, hey, you look pretty today. In the midst of the craziness, that, that, made, them, that made such an important mark on, on her heart. So it said, he takes me on a date about once a week. We go for a walk, or, and whenever we get a chance, you know, he does simple things to show that he loves me, drops off a treat for me at work, leaves notes on my desk to, to show that he cares, sends me a text message throughout the day, just letting him know that, that he's thinking about me. He's always complimenting me and telling me about how pretty I look, even when I don't feel pretty. Those are important things. That shows that you care. That's that, 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 they're romantic. Uh, he helps out around the home. He goes grocery shopping. Uh, um, he helps out with dinner and with homework. He cleans up after dinner. Uh, he, he unloads the dishwasher. Just some simple things that wives shared. But the reality is this. Husbands, we need to give our wives time and talk. We need to have tenderness and touch. And we're going to close it with this, the conclusion. How do we fuel the fire of romance? You know, uh, let's not be like a wood stove that we never put any more logs on the fire and it just kind of dies. You know, I believe God wants our marriages to be great. I, I believe our, God wants our marriages to be full of love because, uh, because God says we're supposed to love him and love others. And I think on top of that others list is the wives or the husbands that he's given us. And so, so when the world looks at our marriages, they should be healthy and strong. They should be loving. And when, and when they see a strong marriage, a healthy marriage, a, a loving marriage, and, and when others see that and maybe they're having a difficulty in their marriage, maybe they'll come to us and say, hey, what's the secret? And not only can you not just give them relationship advice, but you can give them the basis of your relationship, which is Jesus Christ, and communicate that to them. But, but here's some things that I think we can do to fuel the fire. If you think something good, say it. If you think something good, say it. If you think something special, do it. Move past good intentions to thoughtful actions. Everybody has good intentions. Not everybody has good follow-through. And this is not a place to elbow the spouse next to you. That's not, that's not a place to do that. But it's from this point on. Let's move past good intentions to thoughtful actions. And so here's your homework for this week. If you think something good, say it. Say it. Let your spouse know what you care about them, how you care about them, why you find them so attractive, what you love about them. And if you think something special, do it. Plan to do something special, whether it's, whether it's a special note on their desk or, or getting one of their favorite things and dropping off for no reason, planning a date night or, and taking care of all the details, guys. Find the babysitter, plan the restaurant, all those kind of things, all the details. Don't let them any and surprise them. But, but if, you, if you think something special, do it. If you, if you uh, think something good, say it. Let's move past good intentions to thoughtful actions. I love Solomon and Shulamith's love here. They had a deep caring for one another. They were not only lovers, but they were friends. And their relationship was strong. And I hope and pray 
that our marriages here are the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had just to look at Solomon and Shulamith's love and their marriage, Lord. And I pray it'd be helpful for all of us who are married or, uh, or he, who aren't married, that are maybe thinking about it or one day will be married, Lord. I pray that we would take from what they have said and, and learn from it. And Lord, I just pray that... Uh, Lord, that you would help us to love and care for our spouse the way that you want us to. That, that, that we would not only be lovers, but we would be friends. Companions for life. Champion one another. Communicating with one another. And caring for one another. Lord, forgive us in the areas that we failed. And Lord, help us to move past good intentions to thoughtful actions even this week. In Jesus' name, amen.